Welcome to Highway Christian Community Sermon Downloads. For more sermons, please visit our website. We know you will be blessed as you listen. Take care and God bless. Can you say amen, church? Glorious King, Head of the Church. Just let's give Him one more praise. King of glory, King of glory, King of glory, King of glory. The Word of God says in the book of Revelation that the entire Bible has summed up in the name of Jesus. And I just want to say to you that that name of Jesus is a gift to us. Because the Word of God says that it is a name above all names. It is a name that principalities and powers and circumstances and conditions of your heart has to bow to. The name of Jesus, when you mention it, is the entirety of the Word of God. And it is a name to be celebrated because it is a name that reconciles God and man. It is the middle name between heaven and earth. It is a name that reconciled not only God and man, but it reconciled the Holy Spirit to us through Jesus Christ. And I just want us to have such an act of saying, thank you, Father, for the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father, that the name of Jesus sums up the entirety of your word. Thank you that we have power in that name, and it is a name to be celebrated. It is a name to to stand in awe of. Jesus, 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 we love you. Jesus, thank you for everything you have done. Jesus, you are the king. Jesus, you are the prince. Jesus, you are our all in all. Thank you, Lord. Yes, Lord. Amen. Well, Jesus, that was for you this morning. We hope you feel celebrated in glory, Lord. But we know you're right here with us by your spirit. And you're pleased to call us brothers and sisters. Amen? And nothing will ever separate you again from the love of God. Took me a long time to believe that. I lived most of my Christian life almost serving a schizophrenic God. I don't think he was schizophrenic. I was schizophrenic. Because one day he was angry with me and he was about to curse me. And the next day he liked me. And you know you can't serve a God like that because that's not the God of the Lord Jesus Christ. The God of our Lord Jesus Christ is a good God in a good mood who loves you, period. And maybe it just took me a little bit longer to come around to that. But I'm in good company. Amen? Thank you for your wild enthusiasm this morning. We're going to read a scripture together. Um, I'll make it convenient by having them come up on the board. That's just... uh, Modern day convenience. But it's nice to bring our Bible to church. And if you'd have, and you can turn to uh, Paul's letter to Timothy. Uh, Paul is coming to the end of his ministry. And he now um, discharges a few last things. The church was built on apostolic foundations. And uh, with the passing of the apostles, the church was established. Um, elders and deacons in local communities, local houses, where the gospel perpetuated. Now, this is one of Paul's last writings, could be his last, in fact, from a little prison cell, where he writes to Timothy. And in chapter 2, verse 1, it was there for a moment, you then, my son, say, tell the person next to you, his son. Okay. So this is not just for Timothy, this is for sons. And if you're a lady, that's you as well. 
sons and daughters, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. I mean, if we just stopped there this morning, we would have done it. Be strong in the grace. Some of us are catching it. Some of us really believe it. Some of us are still catching it. It's a good place to start. I, I don't uh, fret that it took us a couple of years to establish a strong foundation around the foundations of grace. Because you can't move on until your foundation set. You can build the most magnificent cathedral and building and uh, tower of Pisa, but there's going to be a whole lot of leaning if that foundation is not right. Amen? So be strong in the grace. Be firm. Be established in grace. And he goes on and says, And in the things you have heard me say, in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men, also the word faithful would be a, a good translation of that word, faithful, reliable men, who will also be qualified, say qualified, to teach others. So, so in this, we find Paul's legacy. His departing commission is stand in grace, because that's where the foundation is. And now that you're standing in grace, you've heard me say a lot of things to you in the company of many witnesses. Now these things that you've heard me say, and in a moment we can look at some of those things, what he said, entrust to reliable men, faithful men. So it's not just unbelievers who you're converting. These are faithful men, trustworthy men, that I want you to pass these things on to, so that they themselves, who's them? These people, these faithful men, they themselves are qualified. So there is a getting to a place of being qualified in what you believe so that you can teach. Now there's a place for teaching. Amen? There's a place for just glory, Shekinah, invasions of God's presence, and there's times for teaching. And these things entrust to those who will be qualified to teach others. Amen. So this morning, in the little bit of time we got left here, what we want to do is we want to look at some of these things that he said to them. Some of these things he taught them. Some of these things he heard. And I'm going to be drawing out of his letter to Timothy a few things that they heard him say. And the first one was about the father. And it was, it was this. In, in the, he says to Timothy in 1 verse 2, Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ, our Lord. You see, Paul understood God as a father, not just as a distant power, but more than that. If I came to, if I came to Bill this morning and said, and said uh, I received a mess, I received a message from Richard to say blessing to you. Then all I am is a messenger. Paul is a messenger, which means he must have heard a message from heaven. For him to pass on mercy, grace from, say from, God gave him something that he then went and gave to Timothy. 
It was from the Father. So he's immediately showing a relationship that is, has the capacity to hear a word from the Father, God Almighty as a Father, and then give it on to somebody else. Right there. He's showing that who this Father is. When he writes to the Corinthian church, he says the God of all comfort will comfort you so that you can go and comfort others. To the Philippians, he says, God, the Father, is to be glorified. Again, the Father. And to the church at Coloss, he says, whatever you do in word or in deed, do it all in the name of our Lord, to the glory of the Father. There's a rich understanding that God is our Father. And these things you hear, go pass on. You see, we've got a job to do. We've got to now tell people that there's a father who has a message for them. He's a father of comfort. He's a father that deserves the glory. And he's a father that whatever we go through, we can give thanks. Can you say amen? So what else do we see in his letter here about the son? He says to Timothy, talking about Jesus who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ before the beginning of time, but is now being revealed through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who destroyed death and brought life and immortality to life through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald, an apostle, and a teacher. You see, my friend, This good news of Jesus was in the mind of God before the foundations of the earth. God didn't wake up on the morning of Easter and say, okay, I think I'm going to use all things together for good and seeing they're doing this, I'm going to turn it around. No, no, God had already determined in his heart what he was going to do. But it was only revealed in Jesus and then it's only appropriated when we put our faith in it. Jesus died for everybody, but not everybody will be saved based on the fact that we have to hear and put our faith in what Jesus did. Can you say amen? These things you've heard from me, these things you've heard from me, entrust to reliable men. What what was another thing they heard from him about the Holy Spirit? We see in 2 Timothy 1 verse 13. Says, says to Timothy, what you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Jesus Christ. Guard the good deposit that has been entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit, of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Now that was radical for them in the day. We might read that and go, what's the big deal? But for them it was radical because the Holy Spirit was only for the, the, the prophets and the kings and the pri- It was like a big deal, the Holy Spirit. But his, Paul's message and Paul's teaching, as he said to the Romans church, he, God poured out his love into our hearts when he gave us the Holy Spirit. When he says to the Corinthians, you are temples of the Holy Spirit. When he says to the, to the church in Rome, you don't even know how to pray, but the Holy Spirit can come alongside you and, and, and give you strength. I'm running ahead a little bit here. These were the things that Paul entrusted to 
these believers and said, now you go and entrust them to reliable men who can teach others. See, it's more than just knowing about the Holy Spirit. We are entrusted to teach others, to bring others into an experience of the Father, the Son, the Gospel, and the beautiful Holy Spirit, who's not apart but within. And we never have to fear that he will leave us, because he says, I will never leave or forsake you. Keeping the Holy Spirit is not determined by my behavior. It's determined by Jesus' perfect behavior. The Holy Spirit will never leave you. Fear not to pray David's prayer in that regard. I pray all of David's prayers, but I have to apply some discernment. The Holy Spirit is in you. What were these things that Paul taught that he gave to others, that they heard him say? Obviously, but prayer. Look at what he says to Timothy in 2 verse 8. I want men, and it's uh, it's not the word anthropos, it's the word anthropos, which is inclusive of men and women. So ladies, be calm. I know the best prayer woman in the prayer, the best prayer warriors in the church are women. Most churches, you go to the prayer meeting, it's the ladies. Maybe we've got to address it to the men and say, come on. Except for a Wednesday morning when a couple of guys get together, there's a lot of space for men to be the prayer in their home. Husband, lift up holy hands. I want men everywhere. I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer. There's something about, even physically, I beg your sorry, lifting up holy hands. There's something about lifting up your hands as a prophetic act. It's like, what does it look like when you go like this? Don't shoot. I surrender. What else does it look like when I go like this? I need some help. <laughs> give me, give me, give me. My name's Jimmy. I'll take all you can. What does it mean? Also, it's like a lightning conductor. You know, the guy on the golf course lifts up his golf club and goes. It's like, man, lifting up hands is a prophetic act of, I want heaven to engage with earth. God, I know you, you're here, but you're also there. Your, your, your imminence doesn't negate your transcendence. So you're imminent, but you're also transcendent. And I want heaven to invade earth. And I do that when I pray. I do that when I intercede. I do that when I agree with God's promises. When I lift up holy hands. Amen. These are the things that Paul taught and said, now you, come on, are you a faithful man? Are you a faithful woman? Are you qualified? Then these are the things you should be teaching others. Something else, Paul. I beg your pardon, before we get to that, my little thing is misbehaving beginning of the year. Is he spoke a lot about prayer? Yes. Um, and this scripture is coming up before the... Okay, you get the point. He spoke a lot about the scripture. That was something he taught them. Look at that, in, it says to Timothy in 3.14. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you've learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures. Say holy scriptures, 
which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. In righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped. Say equipped. For every good work. That's what you've been called to. To every good work. But sometimes the, 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 the word of God has to come and bring correction. A little bit of a tap tap on this side and a tap tap on that side to keep you on the straight and narrow. We love the encouragement that comes from scripture. But hey brother, don't use it to put a heavy on me. Eh? No, no, you're rebuking me. Eh? Bible's there to correct, rebuke, encourage and train. So, so, and then in, in chapter 4, verse 13, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. So there's a public reading of Scripture. You know that when these letters were written, they used to circulate amongst the churches. He, he says the letter that's written to Philippi must be read at Colossae. And then he, the letter of Colossae must be read in Ephesus. There was just a reading. Do you think you would be satisfied spiritually if I got up this morning and just read through 1 John, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5, 2 John, chapter 1, 3 John. We should be able to receive nourishment from just hearing the public reading of Scripture. The Bible gets a bad rap in some churches. You know, we want to, you know, package it in such a way that it's only funny and makes me fuzzy and tickles my ears. And, and you know, don't put the Bible on me. Can you believe Christians would get to a place where they don't want the Bible put on them? I'm not kidding here. Well, you know, the early church didn't have the Bible. Really? They had the apostles' proclamation which went in to make the New Testament. There would be no New Testament without the apostolic proclamation. You sitting out this morning knowing you saved in a house called the church because of this book. I'm horrified getting around in certain circles. It's like the Bible's like, no, but that's old fashioned Christianity. Are we into like the new Zen? You know, we just get ooze the glory and the spirit realm and we float and walk on water and just ooze in the spirit. It's dangerous. A Bible. <sighs> okay. These things you've heard from me in trust reliable men. The scripture. Many times throughout Romans he says, as the scripture says, as the scripture says. In Galatians, as the scripture testified about Abraham, as the scripture. Paul wasn't embarrassed of the Bible. What are these things that Paul taught that he passed on? Evangelism. Look into in what he says to Timothy in 1 verse 8. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, the prisoner. In, in 2 verse 8, remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I'm suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. In 4 verse 1, in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, you will judge the living and the dead. And, and in view of his appearing in kingdom, I give you this charge. What was the charge? Preach the word. 
Be prepared in season, out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Paul's aim and ambition was that Christ would be preached. His passion was that into the church daily would be added the fruit of those who believe on Jesus. And that's why he gives this commission at his departure to say, these things you've heard from me. Like he said to the Roman church, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But how shall they hear if nobody is sent to them? How blessed are the feet of those who bring good news? Paul's passion was to see people saved, and so should ours. We, we did that little survey last week. Who, who wasn't at church last Sunday? Um, please, on your, on your way out, can, can Ash, can somebody just need to make sure these, not the notices, the, 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 ignore the back of the notices, but I've re-put the, the survey with the, the questions, quite simply, I'll, I'll mail it out. Ash has got it at the back there. Just put that on a separate table. Or if you lift your hands up now while I'm talking, they can be handed out. And, and that'll, but don't get too distracted. But the reason we did this little survey was, was to say each question, each of these topics is in three stages. A, B, and C. A talks about my relationship, say, with the Holy Spirit. But the B question is, am I able to explain that to a non-believer? That's, that's my knowledge of the subject. Then the third one, the C, is am I actually doing it, which speaks about my practical experience. So we can't just judge A if it's happening in my life without also looking at do I understand it? And thirdly, am I giving it away? So that's all that little survey was intended to do last week and to maybe sober us up a little bit because I scored very high on the A's and the B's but not so high on the C's. Hello? So let me have a sober estimation of my grasp of these topics because it's not just head knowledge. I can have 10 out of 10 on all the head knowledge on these topics but if I'm not able to give, if I'm not giving that away, I've got a zero there. And I have to be honest and say, Lord, I'm not as mature as I thought I was. Hello? I'm not as qualified in this as I thought I was. I'm not going to be able to teach others the way I thought I was. And that's why we're doing the Monday night equip time. Because we want to, through the year, take those themes. And if you're in a life group, that's great. It's going to come to the life group. Coming live to your life group, east to west, on a Wednesday or whenever you meet. But some of the life groups are going to come here on a Monday night. And that's great. But if you want to come here on a Monday night, that's good. But if you'd prefer to go to a life group, but you're not in a life group, there's a table that's been set up at the exit this morning. On your way out, you'll see, if you're interested in finding out about the life groups in your area, there'll be someone there to chat to you. Doesn't mean you can't come to the Monday night, but some people can't do the Monday night, but they'd love to be part of the discipleship equipping time. These things that we're speaking about this morning, these things that were heard from the apostolic teaching, 
that you can be equipped, not only with head knowledge, but application, then you also have the opportunity of doing it at the life group. Are you tracking with me, church? Is that clear? I know I'll interpret your silence as, you got it. So if you're not in a life group, you want to stop at that table, have a look. Or if you're not in a life group and you can't do the life group thing, then come join us on a Monday night. Is that clear? Wonderful. I think I've got one more to do. Okay, so what were the things they heard from Paul? We see the scripture under examination this morning. Is the scripture we're looking at today. The things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses in trust to reliable men who will also be able to qualify and teach others. That is, that is the, the process of discipleship. And then finally, what they would have heard him talking about, what they would have heard him clearly saying, is about the local church. And we see in 1 Timothy, he says to Timothy in chapter 3 verse 14, Although I hope to come to you soon, I'm writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church, say the church, of the living God, the pillar and foundation of truth. In, in, in a few chapters later, he says to Timothy and 5 verse 17, Elders who direct the affairs of the church are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, do not muzzle the ox while he's treading out the grain. The worker deserves his wages. Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. Paul's doctrine that he taught in all of the epistles was very strong on ecclesiology. That's a very fancy word for church but the function of the church, how people behave in the household of God, which is the church, the living church, the pillar of truth. These were churches that had been apostolically planted by Paul where leaders had been emerged, elders were governing, with deacons assisting, where the priests were all priests and all were functioning in their gifts and God was adding daily to be saved. He writes a strong message to these churches. Without the local church, there would have been no New Testament. Because the whole, all of Paul's writings and the apostolic writings were to the local churches. And we know the church, the body of Jesus, is one body of all time and all people. But do you know the difference between the universal and the local? Paul writes to the local in Ephesus, in Rome. Yeah, he's writing to Timothy and giving him instructions saying, maybe I'm going to be delayed, but if I'm delayed, these are the, the way people need to conduct themselves. And he talks about elders, and he speaks about them, and he speaks about deacons, and he speaks, and he, he, there's a, there's a wine skin for the wine to flow in and through. This is not just some river that just, hey man, I'm under a tree with three of my friends, yeah, and we're having coffee, so we're the church because we're believers. No, that's fellowship. More the better. The local church has been constituted by apostolic mandate and it's built on the foundation of the apostolic prophetic and it has elders and deacons and the priesthood functioning. And there's this kind of anti-church movement out there in the world somewhere. People who've been hurt because leaders do stupid things sometimes. Hello? You know, all leaders seem perfect till you get close to them. Then you find out they 
just like you. But they really do love Jesus and want to pass on these things to others. And they're trying to motivate you to do it. But if you get close enough to them, you'll get disillusioned. Let me, let me just save you the disillusionment. Let me prepare you for, say, you know. But that doesn't mean we abscond from the church and the church when it gathers and the church praying and the church focus and the church being led by the leaders and the elders who are worthy of honor, by the way. The local, without the local church, there's no New Testament. There's no Ephesians, there's no Colossians, there's no Galatians, there's no Thessalonians. These are the things that Paul taught them. And these are the things that they needed to be qualified, entrusted with, to teach others. Does that make sense? Can we stand up together? I want to pray for you. I know you all believe this. I know, I know you're all on board with this. Can, Heather, can I have that red? On the chair, on the chair. The red paper, the red paper. Sorry. Thanks. By now, we're quite familiar that those eight themes we saw this morning, we're going to unpack over the months of the year. Does this look familiar, this piece of red paper? If it doesn't look familiar, there will also be some at the front door. And all we're trying to say, church, is Jesus' last words were, go make disciples. Paul's last commission is what we studied this morning. Can I suggest that this is like serious business? And hopefully joyful business. Because when Christians do what they're wired to do, they get unstuck, unblocked, untrapped. They no longer feel like a fish out of water or a bird in a cage. They don't feel like the pastor on holiday locked in a bedroom. When Christians are doing what Christians are called to do, there's a liberation that comes, a freedom, a satisfaction. So Lord, this morning, don't you want to just lift up your hands with me or just hold up your hands? Except the men, you've got to lift up holy hands. As we lift up our hands, we say, Jesus, we started this morning declaring your name, Jesus. Name above all names, beautiful name, Jesus. Lord of glory, King most high, exalted, exalted. You are the head of your body, the church. And even at the micro level, at this local church, we acknowledge it's all about you. It's all for you. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And now, Lord, I've done my part. I've brought your word as best as I can. And now, Holy Spirit, would you come and confirm, confirm this word with a sign following. The sign of a challenged heart, a corrected thinking, a commitment to purpose, a break with apathy, serving notice on complacency. Holy Spirit, would you 
Bring a sign right now. Drink, 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 drink. We receive what you have. Holy Spirit, you're in us. A river, a river of living water. A spring of eternal life. Right now, we just lift up our hands as we receive, as we drink, as we take in what you have for us this morning. Lord, wherever you've placed us in the marketplace, in the education system, as mothers at homes, as parents over children, we know this is for us. This is a now word. This is a purpose word. It's a word of change and challenge in the life of the church. We're standing firm in grace, Lord. We're standing firm in grace. And now we are building on a foundation saying, Jesus, the world needs to hear how wonderful you are, how glorious you are. And we need to see people not just saved, but discipled, established, equipped, so they can be empowered to go and reach the lost. It will start with one a fireball hitting this community of people and it'll go out like a fire cloud across the city, across the nation. It'll go out like a fire cloud across the continent. It can start in one place and ever increasing glory. We say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord.